Ho, ho, ho! History happened everywhere! Christmas special! A random place, a random time, and a Christmassy topic pulled from the sack. The challenge, find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. Ho, 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 ho! You're listening to... happened everywhere. Hello, my name is Ryan Weir and I am here in the HHE Grotto with the elf to my shelf. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. Merry Christmas, Ryan Weir. Are you ready for Christmas? I'm super Christmas ready. I've got my little Christmas hat. I am uh, on top of things. I've done my shopping. I'm ready to go. Well, look, this week we've gone all festive. And the reason for that is because last episode, the Christmas Dursalator gave us Noel in Malta during 1945 to present day. So, have we been good this year? Can we expect to find a stocking? filled with Maltese delights or can we expect a Malta-shaped lump of coal instead? <laughs> well, hang on to your tinsel, right? In this episode, we'll be visiting a gem of an island in the middle of the Mediterranean in order to celebrate Christmas. We'll learn about some of the Christmas decorations the Maltese love, including some you can grow yourself. We'll also take a trip to a typical Maltese household and the mouth-watering feast of goodies that are baked, boiled and fried to celebrate the birth of Christ. Then we'll learn about one of Malta's most celebrated artists, but only as much as you can fit on the back of an envelope. And we'll discover the musical instrument made out of a dog. A dog? A dog! That sounds barking mad. A Merry Christmas to you, Ryan, and welcome to the nurse of the Mediterranean, the land of honey. Welcome to Malta. All right, well, look, I am super excited. It's like Christmas Eve is here. I'm ready, I'm sat in bed, anticipating an old man climbing down my chimney. (laughs) There have been reports of intruders lately, yes, that's true. (laughs) But why don't you start by unpicking your stocking, Peter, and giving us the first gift, the gift of orientation. (laughs) Ah, that's nice. You've been working on that, haven't you? Uh, this is officially the Republic of Malta we're visiting today, located what I would call of just south of the boot of Italy. It's about 90 kilometres, 56 miles south of the island of Sicily, Sicily being the island that is kind of being kicked by the boot of Italy. It consists of three main islands, the island of Malta and then Gozo and Comino are two other islands. Oh, no way, really. I thought it was just Malta. Oh, there you go. There's a couple of less visited islands. The country covers an area of just 316 square kilometres, 122 square miles in total that's not much that is not much i know you're struggling to imagine that that is 0.06 percent the size of a france that's so small so you'd need 1700 malters to make a france wow <laughs> to put it another way you can drive across the entire island in about an hour that's amazing yeah but population wise it's got 517,000 people or thereabouts that's about the same size as bradford a city in the uk or reno nevada in the usa mm-hmm. but because it's such a small place it's the eighth most densely populated country in the world that's amazing yeah. they all have to sleep in bunk beds just to fit that many people on the island <laughs> there's a bit of space but there's a couple of cities and there's enough room for everyone they don't have to brush up against each other all day long okay i expect you're wondering about the flag well obviously well did you know ryan that the maltese flag is one of only three national flags to feature a dragon <laughs> <laughs> i 
feel like we've covered this. <laughs> yes, you did know that because we did talk about that in the Bhutan episode. Yeah, just... and I tried to guess the other ones, didn't I? You did. And they were... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't bode well for the quiz of the Wales. Year. Correct. And Bhutan? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> okay, cool. Malta is usually the hidden one. And that's because if you look at the flag of Malta, it's not immediately obvious that there's a dragon on it. It's a two-colour flag, a bicolour, if you will, hmm. which split vertically, two colours left and right. So on the hoist side, the left, if you will, is white and red on the fly, which is the right-hand side. Mm. In the canton, top left-hand corner, is a representation of the George Cross. Now, the George Cross is a medal, a British medal that's awarded to people it's the highest award bestowed by the british government for gallantry not in the presence of an enemy so not in combat but being brave elsewhere i guess i would imagine having now spoken about flags you're, you're keen for a national anthem aren't you i mean i'm bristling <laughs> well let's have a listen to linu malti the hymn of malta all right like church it is called the hymn of malta so it does have that hymnic feel doesn't it <laughs> And it was written in 1850. It wasn't declared the anthem uh, officially until the 22nd of February 1941. Okay. I, I mean, I can stand there with my hand on my heart and feel the, the passion. I wouldn't want to charge into battle immediately after it. I don't no. for that, but uh, I would certainly heal my, my monarch. <laughs> <laughs> heal your monarch. Okay, the language of Malta. Have a guess. Maltese is Correct, a trick. It's Maltese. No, it is okay, indeed right. Maltese. Not every question's a trick question, yeah, right? Often they are, though. <laughs> the interesting thing about Maltese, having looked at it, you know, normally, especially with European languages, you have a sort of familiarity. It looks a bit like French or a bit like German if it's sort of a yeah. Latin or a Germanic. Not Maltese. Maltese is derived from late medieval Sicilian Arabic. What? It's a very interesting mashup of language, and it's not familiar like so many European languages. So the capital city is called Valletta. It's a beautiful kind of mid, well, 16th century buildings, a lot of them constructed by the Knights Hospitaller, who we're going to come across quite a lot in uh, the history section of this. Okay. So, Ryan, let's play Name Famous Maltese Things. What make famous Maltese things can you name? Um, I can name <laughs> the town where Popeye was filmed. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so the film Popeye with Robin Williams was from 1980 that is or something. Some niche movie, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you'd was go for something more. Malta. I was really hoping you'd go for something more famous than that. If I were to say a Maltese dot dot dot, what would you end that phrase with? Man. Oh my god. A Maltese man. Okay, I'm going to tell you some more famous Maltese things, Ryan, because I neglected to remember quite how poor your general knowledge can be. I told you about Popeye. <laughs> That's specific knowledge, just different. Uh, Maltese cross, Ryan, is one of the things I was oh, hoping you might okay. mention. A Maltese cross is kind of four V shapes, or it's kind of arrowhead shapes, as if they're crashing together. So it's like a spiky cross, in a sense. This is the symbol of the Order of the Knights of the Hospital of St. John, also known as the Knights Hospitaller. I told okay. you we'd come up with them against them again it's quite a common symbol used in a lot of places st john's ambulance the emergency medical services in australia use it and you find it on lots of international medals and coats of arms and maltese cross why does it make me think of germany in world 
or one. I'm thinking you're thinking of the Iron Cross potentially. Yeah, I think the Iron Cross. Yeah, so multi cross similar? is a bit different. No, the Iron Cross is uh, doesn't have the same sort of spiky V shape to it. Okay. But interesting Maltese Cross fact for you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. On the UK's National Rail Network, tickets marked with a Maltese Cross are valid for travel on London Underground, Docklands Light Railway, and Thameslink between two London terminals. That is a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> we are truly spoiled this exactly. Christmas. You thought this wasn't going to teach you anything this episode. Um, okay, another famous Maltese thing. Maltese dog. Yeah, and that's not famous. A Maltese dog is a small dog, about nine inches high. It's got long, straight white hair. And it basically looks like if a dog was a wizard, that's what a Maltese dog looks like. <laughs> you have no idea the image I've got in my mind. <laughs> okay, that dog it. does not exist. <laughs> uh, these were believed to originated in Malta. There's references to them way back in Greek and Roman literature. So 1000 BC, they're saying these dogs originated. But actually, there's evidence that there were small lap type dogs these like little pet dogs they were taken on ships to eat rats and keep the oh, ships okay. clean as well but when we don't think that they're actually a genetic line between the modern maltese dog and these early reference to maltese dogs i think they're a sort of generic small dog from malta versus the modern maltese okay today the maltese dog is prized as a small companion animal huh. Nice. It is ranked 59th of 79 breeds assessed for intelligence. So they sound like they're a bit thick. To be yeah, honest. that's <laughs> that's the low end. I, I feel more uh, more closer to them now. <laughs> so now imagine a thick dog wizard and you've got it bang on. So one other Malta thing. Maltesers are not from Malta. So you're talking about the UK confectionery snack. Correct. They were originally called energy balls. The malt comes from malt and teasers as in you're being teased by the delicious malt. Malta has nothing to do with them. In America, they're called something else, aren't they? I don't. I'm not even sure if they have them I think they're called whoppers. They are similar to whoppers. I believe whopper is a different thing. Oh. But it is a similar malt ball with a chocolate coating. How is that different then? (laughs) To a Maltese? It's a slightly different formulation. Lighter honeycomb in the Malteser. That's a whole other podcast. Wow. We found a little sticking point for you. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> Are you not defending the same. your multi? It's not the same. <laughs> And finally, it wouldn't be History Happened Everywhere without a Maltese treat. Sure. So here's your first gift of the evening, Ryan. Is it a Malteser? It is not a Malteser, which is we've it? established are not from Malta. <laughs> God, don't you listen. <laughs> are you ready, Ryan? I, I'm ready. Your first gift. What is my gift? <gasps> it is a can, and it says Kisk or Sisk Lager Beer. I think it may be Chisk. Or Chisk. <laughs> and it says Malta's Finest. I did not skimp. I got you Malta's Finest. So this is Chisk beer, I think, brewed and packaged in Malta since 1929. Their website says it's bottom fermented, which I did not look too closely into. <laughs> uh, they're launching August 1929, just weeks before the great market crash, which was good timing uh... for a business, as you can imagine. But they managed to survive. They were brewed by a family of bankers, and apparently Chisk derives from people attempting to pronounce the word Czech, because these bankers were the first ones to bring Czechs to the island, so they got associated with Czechs. I don't know, sounds a bit dodgy to me, but apparently it's uh, related to the word Czech. And this beer has won numerous awards, including in the World Beer Awards 2017, the prestigious World's Best Czech Style Pale Lager title. (laughs) What a category. (laughs) So here it is. Cheers. Oh, yes. Cheers. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's like a strong flavour to it. It's not weak in any way. That's very tasty. The Maltese, I have determined like a strong beer. Well played, Malta. Thank you, Chisk. Thank you for my gift, Peter. You're welcome, Ryan. I've been a good boy. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Pete. Uh, what have you got there, mate? Oh, this. Um, well, I got you a present. Oh, you didn't have to do that. Well, I just wanted you to know how much I've enjoyed podcasting with you this year. Here you go. 
Oh, wow. It's a History Happened Everywhere t-shirt. Ah, oh, this is exactly what I've always wanted. That's right. It's the fun gift suitable for all the family. But Ryan, does it come in several stylish designs? Yeah, it does, Pete. But wherever did you get it? Oh, well, I got it at hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. hhepodcast.com forward slash merch, did you say? Yeah, that's right. hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. Oh, it's a shame it's a bit cold for t-shirts though, isn't it? Well, at hhepodcast.com forward slash merch, they also have hooded sweatshirts. But Ryan, did they come in several stylish designs? Yes, two. Two stylish designs. That's amazing. But what am I going to put all this stuff in? Well, at hhepodcast.com forward slash merch, you can purchase a tote bag. But Ryan, do they come in several stylish designs? No. Well, I love it. I love it almost as much as the HHE Podcast mug, which you got me last year. I'm glad you like it. What a great Christmas. It's always a great Christmas with HHE Podcast merchandise. Happy Happy Christmas, Christmas, everyone. So, Ryan, you you didn't actually get me this T-shirt, did you? No, 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 I got you some Lego. Oh, thank goodness for that, because I've got flipping loads of these. All right, Peter, what's next? Next, sir, the history of Malta. Let's get you oriented in time. We're oriented in space now. Yeah. So time next. So the island was first inhabited around 5,900 BC by... Uh, earliest man? Early, the, very much the earliest man, yes. Their <laughs> yeah. agricultural methods, though, degraded the soil, and they think the islands became uninhabitable from their agriculture. No way. So they were repopulated again around 3850 BCE by who I'm calling slightly later man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, these guys, they built mega megalithic temples all around Malta, which today are amongst the oldest surviving buildings in the world. Wait, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. I mean, they're not like blocks of flats or anything. They're yeah. <laughs> sort of piles of rocks in a sense, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they've got some quite impressive megalithic temples. So that civilization also collapsed and then Bronze Age warriors moved in. And then it gets interesting around 8 BCE with the arrival of the Phoenicians. So the Phoenicians come out of kind of Syria, Israel, Lebanon area in the Eastern Mediterranean. And they themselves went on to create the Carthaginian Empire, which was based out of Tunisia. Tunisia, Mm. which as we discussed is just the other side of Malta actually, and that Carthaginian Empire included Malta. Around 200 BCE, the Romans move in because they have the Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage and Rome do well, so they uh, move in and take over Malta. There's an important moment about 60 CE, which was reported that St. Paul was shipwrecked on an island named Melita, which a lot of people take to mean Malta. Yeah, it's close enough, isn't it? Yeah, and you'll find a bay called St. Paul's Bay in Malta today. The Romans gave way to the Byzantines, forming part of the province of Sicily, so they had an Italian-Roman connection for quite a long time. From the 7th century, the island started to be threatened by Muslim expansion, and then the Muslims expanded all over them basically mm. uh, 870 AD or 870 CE Malta was occupied by Muslims from North Africa it's changing hands quite a lot yeah it's it's kind of in the middle of things so every passing person takes it over because it's quite small but quite usefully located so mm. people kind of want it Muslim rule lasts for a while until it's put to an end by Norman and Roger uh, that is to say part of the Norman conquests which were happening around 1000 CE in 1091 Count Roger of Sicily invaded hmm. Count uh, Roger Count Roger it's okay. uh, not a, I was thinking that as a modern name but 1091 Count Roger of Sicily was getting on with business from 1530 to 1798 that's nearly 300 years Malta was ruled by the Order of St John these are the hospitallers that we talked about uh, it's a vassal state of the kingdom of Sicily and the hospitallers basically were protecting the island from attack 
attacked by the Ottoman Empire. Okay, uh, introducing the Ottomans now. Exactly. Well, it's all part of the Muslim-Christian back and forth, I suppose, in that period. There was a great siege, apparently, in 1565, which is a notable moment, but the hospitalers won out. Do you mean like a great siege, as in like it was thumbs up? It was fabulous. <laughs> it was well executed. <laughs> uh, significant, I think, okay, is right. probably the word. So if we have the hospitalers in charge till 1798, the French arrive then, and Napoleon basically comes in and goes, I'll have a bit of this. But that doesn't last very long. The French were so unpopular. Just after a couple of years, the Maltese rose up and asked the British to come along to help. Oh, wow. Okay. And in 1800, Malta became a voluntary part of the British Empire as a protectorate. I can't imagine there are many voluntary uh, countries. It's not the typical story. It's normally the arrival of us with a bunch of guns saying, hi, would you like an alliance wherein we are the dominant party? But yeah. uh, Malta seems to have been relatively empowered through this process. Okay. As far as a small nation that's being threatened from all sides can mm. be empowered. But due to its location, it became a major military asset for Britain because it became the headquarters of the British Mediterranean fleet. The headquarters? Yeah. Such a tiny little island. It's smack in the middle of the Mediterranean, though. Great place oh, to start. If you're so, going to head yeah. anywhere in the Mediterranean, you're halfway there if you start in Malta. Mm. Uh, during World War One, Malta became known as the nurse of the Mediterranean because loads of wounded soldiers were taken there to recover. And Malta also played a key role in World War Two. Mm. In the post-war period, you know, we've seen many an independence movement. Malta kind of bucks the trend. They almost went the other way. They are the only British colony where it was seriously considered to actually integrate and become part of the UK. Rather than oh. become independent, they were going to become Britain or a little bit actually of become part of yeah. the United Kingdom it was seriously discussed but it didn't happen in the end in fact after a referendum the state of Malta was formed on the 21st of September 1964 I mean that's fairly recent isn't it yeah very recent so the state of Malta forms on in 1964 only in 1979 did the last British forces actually leave the island for a while after that Malta started developing ties to Libya under Gaddafi what? and North Korea <laughs> what why uh, I think they were looking to find new sort of substantial sponsors which is interesting but eventually that doesn't really pan out they they kind of move more Europeward and in 2004 they join the EU most recently in March 2022 the Labour Party led by Prime Minister Robert Abela won its third successive election and that brings you up to Malta today so there you have it Malta in a nutshell Malta in a nutshell you could probably fit it in a nutshell (laughs) so small it is a tiny place yeah So what up next, PD? We're going to talk about the Atomic Age, Ryan. We should do, because I don't know what that means. So our period is 1945 to present, which we, yep. which is known as the Atomic Age. It's really the age since the atomic bomb, basically. So 1945 in Hiroshima, the atomic bomb was dropped, which effectively marked the end of World War II. But it was also the beginning of the Atomic Age. But shortly after 1949, the Soviet Union exploded its first atomic warhead, starting a new war, the Cold War. Mm. This was described as a bipolar world, i.e. two powers, two countries had nuclear power and they formed two sides in this cold war and pretty much every other country either declared one side or the other or quite active neutrality so you had the north atlantic treaty organization nato who we've talked about before and the warsaw pact on the other side but eventually the Cold War started to thaw. In the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev introduced glasnost, which is openness, and perestroika. Mm-hmm. Relations with the USA began to improve, consequently. In 1989, the Berlin Wall fell down, and the times, they were a changing, Ryan. That's great. Uh, and so, it's stayed that way ever since. Well, more or less. So, 
<laughs> but both sides wanted to meet to talk through what's going on, right? There's big change in the world, but they needed to find somewhere neutral to do it. Right. So you've got Gorbachev on one side and George Bush on the other side going, oh, this world is changing. We have two nuclear powers. What do we do to address this new world? So they chose to have a big summit and they chose to have this summit in Malta. Yeah, good choice. Just before Christmas, 1989, there was the historic Malta summit. Between the 2nd and 3rd of December, US President George Bush and Mikhail Gorbachev met in that summit. It wasn't in a conference centre in Malta or anything. Both sides were based on and had their meetings on ships outside Malta. And they were anchored off the coast. But one of the problems they had was there, there was stormy weather and heavy seas. So some of the meetings had to be cancelled or rescheduled. And the whole summit got the nickname the C6 Summit. Oh, no. <laughs> the US Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice said of the summit, unfortunately, they chose Malta, which turned out to be a really horrible place to be in December. The Maltese people were wonderful, but the weather was really bad. <laughs> I love the way she caveated that, though. Yes, yes. I think yeah. it was specifically the being on a ship lurching in a storm. They hadn't quite uh, realised the benefit. Yeah, but that sounds awful. Can you imagine? Can you just like, oh. oh. But on the plus side, that's the kind of thing that helps the negotiation go along because you do not want to be denegotiating for days on end, do you? That's a, yeah, you're very you're kind of pushed to, to like, get to a conclusion. To get to a <laughs> Can we just get back onto dry land once we've agreed this? Yeah. Yeah, so it didn't stop them. The summit was a huge, significant moment. During the summit, Bush and Gorbachev actually declared an end to the Cold War. Nice. George Bush said, we can realise a lasting peace and transform the East-West relationship to one of enduring cooperation. That is the future that Chairman Gorbachev and I began right here in Malta. Yeah, yeah good, good work, stuff. Malta. Yeah. So Maybe we can it. drag them back to Malta and we could have another conversation. We could. It's probably time for a round two, isn't it? So Malta, fire up the boat park. <laughs> I don't know where you park your Fire boat. up the boat park. I, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Oh dear. Malta, get ready for another summit. We need you. We need you, Malta. <laughs> yeah. Mikhail, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Comrade Bush. Can I offer you some borscht? Thanks, Mikhail, but it's a little choppy out there. I'm not sure I can keep it down. I understand, Comrade. I too am feeling, how you say, a little green around the gills. Now, before we begin this negotiation, it is traditional to exchange gifts to show our goodwill and openness to the process. I have brought you this, Matryoshka doll. It is many layers representing the complexity of the process we face. Why, thank you, Mikhail. This is very beautiful. And I too have a gift for you. To mark the fact that here in Malta we'll be making history together, I have bought you this. History Happened Everywhere t-shirt. I love this, comrade. It appears both stylish and comfortable. I must obtain more for my family and friends. Where may I find such an item? Why, it couldn't be easier, Mikhail. Go to hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. That's right, hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. This gift gives me a good feeling about these negotiations, George. Me too, Mikey. Me too. So 
So that is the Atomic Age. And the topic, Ryan, is Noel. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see how you've tackled this. Well, it's not as, as interesting as you might hope, to be honest with you. The topic is Noel. Mm. And Noel is basically just another word for Christmas. Oh. So the topic is Christmas, fundamentally. Now, you and I don't say Happy Noel or are you, what are you doing for your work Noel party. It's not no, we literally don't. a synonym for Christmas. You really only find it on Christmas cards and in Christmas carols, such as the first Noel. Yeah. As a word, you can be traced via French to the Latin word natalis, which means birthday or relating to birth. Right. So obviously this is a reference to the birth of Jesus or the nativity. Okay, so the birth. That makes sense. Exactly. So an early use of Noel, spelt originally N-O-W-E-L-L, uh, that can be found in the late 14th century legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I I know that story. It goes, Loud rang the voice of Clark and Cantor, there aloft, Noel, Noel, they sang, and cried the word, full oft. Noel, or Noel, is also a popular name. And, in fact, there are many people named Noel in Malta, very few of whom respond to unsolicited emails from strange podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> really? You tried to contact we, some Noels? We did very nearly have a segment about the Noel Kickboxing Club of Malta. <laughs> But uh, none of my Noles responded, f- perhaps fortunately. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going to say for the, for the purposes of this podcast, when we're saying the topic is Noel, the topic is Christmas itself. Okay. And so this being Christmas, Ryan, let's start with a present. Uh, another one? It's Christmas. I am truly spoiled. <laughs> okay, are you ready for your present, Ryan? I'm always ready for a present. I mean, what a stupid question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is not how you get presents, Ryan, but yes, here's your present. It's a brown A4-sized envelope, standard issue. Just checking to no, see if there's, there's money there's inside. There's no money, don't right. look. <laughs> Just to preempt, there are no monies in any of the following presents. I'm still going to look. <laughs> okay, so there is on here uh, a bit of paper. With <laughs> okay, so it's a big picture of different Christmas scenes. From Malta. From Malta, okay. And there are five windows, uh, each with a number. So I'm guessing this is an advent calendar of some kind. Ryan, welcome to the Podvent calendar. The Podvent calendar? I've invented the Podvent <laughs> calendar. <laughs> so uh, each door comes with a gift and a Christmassy Maltese topic that we will talk about. That sounds awesome. Now, I should warn you, Ryan, that the selection box of actually good Maltese presents that I ordered did not arrive. Oh, no. <laughs> and so some of the presents that follow may be, to the untrained eye, mm. things I had around my house. Is this stuff you just... They're related to the forwarding topic. Forwarding on. <laughs> <laughs> things I want to get rid of. Yeah. So uh, you have to open the doors in order and for each one you'll get a gift and a little bit of podcast. Okay. Right. It is open. (laughs) Okay. It is a map of Malta. There you go. Malta. So the first topic is Malta, a Maltese Christmas. (laughs) Okay. So to get us started, I just wanted to learn what a regular old Maltese Christmas might be like. So I found a Maltese person who was willing to talk to me about their memories of Christmas in Malta. That's great. So uh, I'll, I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, I'm Christopher. I'm... I wear many hats, so I, I wear the hat of a son, brother, uncle, partner, but I'm also a crossfitter, painter, producer, and of course, one of the main reasons why I'm here, I'm Maltese, and I'm really proud that I'm Maltese. He wears more hats than me. Yeah, he's a man of many talents, but the main one for our purposes is being Maltese. <laughs> wow. So I asked Chris to basically just tell me about his memories of Christmas, so this is what he said. As many might know, Malta is very religious. So Christmas has its religious significance, but of course it has a major social aspect. For example, I can't imagine myself not going down to Malta for Christmas. But to me as a child, 
Um, I was brought up in a very Catholic um, family. So to us, there was always always this preparation for Christmas. And one of the things was um, around, very important, around food, but also around the Christmas decorations. So Christmas decorations, I remember with my dad, as soon as Christmas is about to start, we get the Christmas crib out. We start fixing, amending, refurbishing the Christmas crib. So Christmas cribs are made of jablo or um, papier-mâché. Um, and we start fixing it. We start decorating it. We change a few things around it. Um, uh, and we start decorating it. So that's the first thing that comes out, right? Which narrates the story um, of, of the nativity of Jesus Christ. But then when it comes to food... Um, uh, I remember as a child preparing the list with my mother and then go to the um, bakery decorating shop. I would buy all these things and start baking with my mother the Christmas cake, the Christmas log, which is my favorite, top of the list. And of course, the mince pies, um, uh, which are very, very British. Um, but we do, we do bake those in Malta. So a couple of things there. Chris mentioned the Christmas crib. Yeah, the Christmas uh, crib. We are going to talk about those in quite some detail later. So we'll come back to those. So let's move straight on to food. Chris mentioned a Christmas log, which I thought was interesting. So mm. I asked him to tell me a bit more about that because mince pies for our American viewers are kind of a sweet fruit pie. Very British. So our British viewers will be very familiar with them. But I was interested in the Christmas log. So I asked a bit more about that. So it's a bunch of biscuits crammed, broken into pieces all smashed then lots of condensed milk and then you have also the um, the fruits which are which is mixed together with it and nuts actually so it's it's a mix of things and then the condensed milk of course will get it into the form of a log you put it in the fridge and once it's cold then it's just hard and you can start decorating it. It is heavy. It's definitely my favorite one. I've recently, if actually my mother had to listen to this, she'd be very angry. But my mother's is always the best. But I've recently tasted one of a friend of mine, which was really good. Whoa. I know. I, um, I Should almost, we put this out? I, I almost didn't put it in because I thought <laughs> uh, I just mother's going to go nuts. But it was funny. So I did. <laughs> so uh, Chris explained that they make all this food. They put it out on the table on Christmas Eve. In their house, they don't eat it until they've done the midnight mass. But other houses, sometimes they eat it. But then obviously the midnight mass is what comes next. And I asked him to tell me a little bit about that. And that's the midnight mass, which is on Christmas Eve, of course. The midnight mass, uh, to me, is very special, actually. And... Um, Though I don't practice religion that much, I still go. I still opt on going. I go and celebrate it with my parents. And it always starts with Christmas Eve. It's either I'm still running around Malta trying to finalize my Christmas shopping. Um, but what I do is we get home. We start getting ready around eight. Um, the drinks come out. So we'll get either some whiskey or some vermouth just to keep us warm. And we'll head to, to the church. And at the church is a nice celebration because you have multiple things happening there. So you have the Christmas carols where everyone's singing and before the mass will start. And then right before, before the mass will start, then you have this young child which comes out in the center of the church and the child will start narrating the story of the nativity. And that's really, really special. And then once the child has finished narrating, they'll give him a little statue of baby Jesus Christ and... Uh, yeah, and the mass will start then. And what's special about it is as soon as the mass ends, then many people just gather in the room next to the, where, where the priest gets ready, basically, 
and um, we have mild wine and Modi's honey rings or Christmas cake. And everyone starts chatting and then everyone heads home. And at home, everyone does his own thing. And us, what we do is we eat, we eat our Christmas log and continue drinking, of course. He's the most festive man I've ever met. He's super festive, isn't he? He was a, he was a good discovery. <laughs> it's incredible. I want to go to Chrissy's Mass. I do too. Cr- I Chris's want to s- Mass. Chrissy's Chris Mass. <laughs> Chrissy's Mass. Oh my Lord. See what I did there. Uh, I like the idea of a pre-church whiskey. That sounds like good practice, to be honest with you. Um, that child sermon that you mentioned, that's a very Maltese thing. A child is picked from the community to read the sermon. But uh, obviously that's the Mass Christmas Eve. We're not even on Christmas Day yet, but Christmas Day is largely characterised as it is for many people by the big lunchtime meal. Yeah. So I asked Chris to describe what a Maltese Christmas lunch might look like. There are a number of starters, different starters, and um, my mother sometimes starts with prawn cocktail, um, even though it's Christmas. To me, it's a very summery dish, but that's one of them. Some also prepare snails, which is a very traditional in Malta. Um, uh, usually get snails before eating rabbits. So you, that, that is quite a thing in Malta. My mother also usually loves, like sometimes she prepares lasagna, very Italian, or soup. And sometimes you also have cannelloni filled with ricotta, um, uh, which are always also very good. And there's for Maine, Maine varies quite a bit. So as I said, rabbit is one of our traditional dishes and each Christmas is different. So what I'm going to mention are dishes that my mother has prepared on various Christmas days. But you have rabbit stew or roasted, and that comes with pasta, which I adore. Really, really good. Very traditional. And then sometimes you have the turkey, of course. Lamb, lamb shank on many occasions, duck, which is also very good and I love, pork, and of course, you can't miss a Maltese dish with roasted potatoes. I love roasted potatoes with thyme and lots of olive oil on top of them. And uh, in fact, what they used to do back in the days, because I was just chatting to my dad about it, they used to take the roasted potatoes to the bakery in the village and they used to prepare the, po- the potatoes there and they of course they, they come crunchy right and i think some some families still do that because there are still some, a few bakeries around around the villages of malta and um yeah so that's the, um uh, some of the food but then dessert dessert is um of course cherry on top of the cake and that varies quite a lot too and um my mother usually prepares a malty souffle or trifle the trifle is full of cream and lots of fruit on top and then um, some also prepare tiramisu or gato. So the gato is very similar to a tiramisu. Tiramisu, of course, as many might know, is, is Italian. The gato is, it has a very similar approach, but basically they use biscuits, cream and coffee. And it's also really, really good. Okay, two things. Firstly, I'm starving now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I've, written, I've written a bullet point here saying, are you hungry yet? Yeah. <laughs> my God, my mouth is full of saliva. <laughs> Honestly, he was talk of roast potatoes. I mean, that's, that's number one. That's what put me over the edge as well. Secondly, I, I do want to question the traditional Christmas lasagna. Rabbit, snails, lasagna, duck, lamb, pork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, quite quite. You could see the diverse influences there. You had the Italian, you had I'm the British. So hungry, <laughs> uh, but of course I've kept the best till last. I also asked Chris about presents. A special moment is when we're about to open the Christmas presents, and um, I know that some open the presents in the morning. But what we do is we open them 
at four o'clock. So we prepare tea, coffee, the Christmas log comes back out together with the mince pies and the Christmas cake. And then we gather around the Christmas tree and we start opening our Christmas presents. And since the family is growing and growing, so what we started doing is we started putting names into our Christmas hat. I would just get the names and then we'll just give the presents to each other. But I just love it because it just gets me closer to my family. And of course, the spirit is, is, is amazing, which is beautiful. There you have it, a real-life Maltese Christmas. That was brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Now, to go to your present, Ryan. Chris covered a lot of food and drink there, but there was one thing he didn't mention that is very Maltese, so I'm going to do it for him. It's a very typically Maltese chocolate and chestnut soup or drink. It's somewhere between a soup and a drink. It's called Imboluta, and it's chestnut, cocoa, cloves, citrus zest, and water to make a chocolatey, nutty soup, right? It's served often after midnight mass, and uh, I've got some of that for you today, Ryan. I can't wait now i have to warn you that i consider chestnuts to be an abomination so i'm not looking forward to this but uh, as you may have smelt on your stove you've had some something brewing so is let's go that and have what a that is <laughs> so let's go and check it out see how it's gone So here you have it, Ryan. It's uh, like I say, it's a, it's, I'm not sure if it's a drink or a soup, somewhere between the two. So there's cocoa, uh, water, chestnuts, obviously, nutmeg, cinnamon, spices, your kind of Christmassy spices, zest of an orange, zest of a mandarin, a little bit of cornstarch to make it a little bit thicker. And there you have it, a sort of chocolatey, nutty soup. See how it goes. I'm not a fan of the chestnut myself, but hopefully you enjoy it. This is your gift for door okay. number one. That's delicious. <laughs> Your face is saying something quite different to that's delicious. <laughs> that was an unexpected blast of citrus. Well, that would be the zest. Mm. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> that is an acquired taste. Well, bear in mind, this is my effort at making this. I've never tasted it before and I've just got an online recipe. So it may oh, not really? be represented. Oh, I thought you bought like a packet or something. No, no, I've made this. You've made this? Yeah. Very good. So if it doesn't work, I think you can blame me rather than the nature of the dish. I'll be honest. I'm not a massive fan of citrus with chocolate. Ah. So chocolate orange and stuff like that, I tend to avoid at the best of times. Okay. I think that's fine. (laughs) It's as good as I'll go. (laughs) Uh. But there you have it. Imboluta. Hi, it's Christopher here again. Just wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas on behalf of Malta. And to mention one final very important Christmas tradition on the island. Before opening the presents, everyone changes into their traditional History Happened Everywhere t-shirts. So they look stylish and comfortable whilst opening their gifts. You can get yours from www.hhepodcast.com. Okay, Ryan, are you ready to look and see what's behind door number two? Door number two on the advent calendar. It is a picture of the nativity. Right, and you also have a Maltese gift associated with door number two. Oh, yeah, gifts. Okay, here we go. Gift, 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 gift. Give me lovely gifts. Right, I have a plastic bag. I'm opening it up. Open it. Careful, careful, careful. Oh, oh, I don't know what this is and I'm terrified. Take it out and describe what you have. (laughs) How could I describe this? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it's a little Tupperware box and within it is some sprouted seeds. 
That's Th- right. That's it. Yeah. It sprouted seeds, like uh, grass or like um, cress or something. Well, you know I love green things. Exactly. I have lots of house plants and things. So thank you for my seeds. Do you want to know what it is? Ideally. Okay, so Chris talked about decorating. And in Malta, you'll find all the usual things like tinsel and lights. But you'll also find this stuff. This is Julbina. 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 It's the it's a pea. It's a, I think it's a member of the pea family. Oh. You describe... I, I, it reminds me of cress. You, you said yeah. cress earlier. Uh, and this is grown for usually a couple of weeks so that's about five days old four or five days old okay it grows and grows and grows and they grow longer and longer and it, until you've got these quite long hair like bushy strands of stuff and you put them around your house as decoration and in particular oh. you put them under the baby jesus in your crib your nativity ah, scene that's linking the two things up there exactly. that's very good so crib is a, a nativity scene basically dioramas if you will a kind of a model railway type thing but for god <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a tradition you find in other parts of Italy, Sicily particularly, unsurprisingly perhaps. But basically from October, shops start selling little statuettes for your crib. So these are called pastori, which comes from the Italian pastore for shepherd. Originally, they would have been little carved stone or coal residue or clay. People make small personal versions. But sometimes they do huge elaborate townscapes as well. So rather than just the nativity, you get people across their garage will have a whole kind of Bethlehem laid out, basically. That feels too much. Well, they become a bit like, you know, in the UK and I think in America, you have some streets that go all out on yeah. Christmas lights and people go visit those to look at the crazy lights of the houses that really go nuts on these traditions. Yeah. I think the cribs are quite similar. Some people go, oh, I'm going to do this mega crib and everyone comes and looks at it. In the atomic age, in the post-war years, this tradition of cribs actually started to die out for a while because it was seen as old-fashioned, I guess, and yeah. not funky and new. Uh, but in 1986, a group of crib enthusiasts, they got together and formed Association of Friends of the Crib. Uh, and their job was to keep the crib tradition in Malta alive. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, every year in the weeks leading up to Christmas, they would have an exhibition of works by their members. So about 100 cribs all showing this story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. Mm. But that might seem a bit small fry for you, Ryan. You said you wanted it to be real. There is one very special precepute. There is a life size nativity reenactment that happens in this village 11 years ago in the village of Gajunsulum uh, on the island of Gozo the smaller island uh, they took a bunch of abandoned fields and basically built a full-size nativity village wow they had about 150 actors playing the different residents of Bethlehem they had three different newborn babies playing the role of baby Jesus <laughs> they even this year there's an in reenactment of the adoration of the magi the three wise men depart on horseback from Malta to the ferry terminal which I'm sure you remember from your bible yeah uh, they, they make their entrance to the nativity village on epiphany which is the 6th of january you can go there you can visit the carpenters you can see the blacksmith at work uh you can go to the bakery you can buy food and fr- fresh fruit and veg you can even go to the bethlehem inn and rent a room and stay for the night what uh and assume they don't have a room you know where you can stay i guess it's just, just a big recreation it's a huge kind of theme bethlehem park, theme park. yeah wow yeah there's if there's no room in the inn obviously uh yeah <laughs> I've heard this one. There, there are alternatives. Um, but entrance to the site is free as well. You can go and look around. It doesn't cost anything, but you should probably leave a donation. I would recommend either gold, frankincense, or maybe myrrh. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. There's a full-size nativity that they do every year in this village. It's amazing. So there you have it. Those are cribs, a very popular and important tradition in Malta. I love that. That's a great one. Greetings, Joseph and Mary. We are the three wise men. We have travelled from afar to pay tribute unto the baby Jesus. Greetings, wise men. We welcome you humbly. Our first tribute is my own. I bring you the gift of gold, for baby Jesus is truly the king of kings. The second tribute is mine, and I bring the gift of frankincense, 
for the holiness and divinity of baby Jesus is beyond question. And I am the third wise man, and I bring you the gift of merchandise. Specifically, this stylish and comfortable HHE podcast t-shirt, for it is truly a gift for all the family, even the Son of God. But where did you get such treasure? HHEpodcast.com forward slash merch. HHEpodcast.com forward slash merch? That's right. HHEpodcast.com forward slash merch. You truly are thoroughly wise. Okay, it's the third day of Christmas. What's behind door number three, right? Right. Door number three. Door number three is... Oh, what could this be? I'm building it up. Right. Ooh. <laughs> oh, you remind gonna... me of my mother. Is it a little lamb? Is it a holly bush? No, it's a manga drawing of a man stroke woman stroking something. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to help me out with that one. That is a stamp. Right. So, Ryan, are you ready for your gift? I am. Give me gifts. I'm not returning much in the way of gifts, by the way. I hope you realise that. It's understood. It's my podcast. You are the recipient of the knowledge and the gifts. And it is some... It's four stamps. So, remember I said things around my house. <laughs> four postage stamps. Four postage stamps. That's because we With are... With space for two others. So, yeah, have I yeah, got to that's... collect the other two? No, or... some of them are used. It's a used book of stamps, Ryan. That's what that is. Thank you, Peter. That's I handy. think that probably... I don't know how much first-class stamp is these days, but I reckon that's at least a couple of quid. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, uh, this would be one of the things that would have been a delicious Malta treat had the box arrived. It is now a book of used, uh, used book of stamps. Royal Mail, first class stamps. But we are going to talk about stamps. That's why I've given you stamps, because stamps is what we're talking about in the next section. Obviously, why stamps? Well, Christmas is a time for sending letters and cards, and they're not going to go anywhere without a stamp. But the undisputed king of stamp design in Malta was an artist named Emvin Cremona. Great name. So he wasn't just a stamp designer. He was actually considered one of the best Maltese artists of the 20th 20th century. Really? Just artists, full stop. Not stamp artists, just artists. Hmm. His full name was Emmanuel Vincent Cremona. So Envin is from Emmanuel Vincent. He was born in 1919 in Valletta, the capital. Uh, in 1935, age 16, he started at the School of Arts in Valletta. He did well there. So he, in 1938, he goes to the Accademia di Bella Arti in Rome. Studied until the outbreak of war in 1940 when he had to go home. He later wins a scholarship to study in the London Slade School of Art. And he also studied in the summer in Paris. So he was an artist who was on the world stage, I guess, yeah, in his education. Sure wasn't just a Maltese provincial artist. Okay. Uh, in 1948, he goes back to Malta, he marries and has four children, and he becomes the painting master at the School of Arts for a while. And then his career really starts to take off. He had a friend and a fellow artist called Anton Inglot, who unfortunately died while working on the decoration of the Mesida Church. And Envin Cremona was asked to finish it. And he does a nice job on that. So he gets other church commissions. And he soon gets quite well known for creating these vivid, rich, slightly modern religious artworks in churches around Malta. Nice. And what he was trying to do was actually create t- church art that was modern, but also devotional. So not just hip and modern, but profound, but with a modern appearance. And it's kind of religious art for the atomic age, you might say. Ah, clever. His career, though, takes another turn in 1957, when Cremona was given an opportunity by the Maltese Department of the Post to work at a completely different scale, a stamp commemorating the 15th anniversary of the awarding of the George Cross. Mm. In 1964, Malta gains its independence, and again, Cremona was approached to say, can you do us a series of 
stamps to commemorate this event. He's now stamp guy at this he point. He is stamp guy because in 1964, also very busy, he produced the designs for the very first Christmas stamps issued by Malta. Wow, okay. And they are beautiful. So that image that you looked at on the thing is one of his stamps. That's what you would have got on one of his Christmas stamps. It really is very modern looking. Yeah. Like I said, it kind of reminds me of, of sort of manga, you know, uh, cartoon comic book style it is it's got that kind of slightly it's not realist realist it's not yeah. cubist but it's somewhere sort of in between and you'll see there's somewhere on there in every one of uh, Cremona's stamps there is a star so you should probably I see, the see star. a star there somewhere I do. as well his designs were very innovative in 1967 he created kind of triptych a three panel picture and that meant to give it a sense of depth the stamp was made in a trapezoidal shape mm. I can only imagine the printers were not particularly <laughs> happy about it but uh, he was an innovator in <laughs> stamps and uh he basically became really really well known and his his stamps became really really well known from his first set in 57 to his last in 1980 he was responsible for 62 sets of stamps that's more than 170 different original designs in his 20 years but it wasn't all stamps his works visible in churches all around malta at a much bigger scale obviously these great big murals beautiful things and he's also got paintings hanging at the world health organization headquarters and the un headquarters in new york i suspect that when you are doing a stamp you're not drawing it at stamp scale no i think they they do a picture and shrink it down but we'll right. talk about that in the verdict next week cremona died in 1987 unfortunately uh, but he left behind a massive legacy of art from tiny stamps to huge church paintings and as i say is now regarded as one of malta's best artists of the 20th century my cremona i thought that too i tried not to cremona here's to envin cheers Envin! Merry Christmas, you old dog! Come on over here! Oh, hi, Toby. Hi. How have you been? Oh, you know, same as everyone, really. Just keeping busy with the old art. <laughs> right, yeah, aren't we all? I just finished my latest and, dare I say, greatest piece. It's a massive mural that covers one wall and the entire ceiling of the cathedral. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's about 200 square foot of devotional art. <laughs> they say it really conveys the power of God. Gosh, that, that sounds big. Yeah, but that's nothing. I've also been commissioned for a series of giant outdoor sculptures, each 25 feet tall and made of recycled materials. Some say it's a brilliant commentary on the waste of our throwaway society. I mean, gosh, wow, that's, I mean, that's really impressive. Yeah, so tell me about you, Envin. What's your latest work? Oh, well, actually, uh, I've been working on, um, on a stamp. A stamp? What, like a giant stamp? No, 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 it's, it's just a stamp. Oh, I see. You put 10,000 stamps together to create a portrait 50 feet high, which is a commentary on um, how, well, uh, well, why don't you tell me? Well, no, it's just a stamp. It's about a square inch, I suppose. I think, if anything, it's a commentary on Christmas and how the baby Jesus was born. Right. I mean, I bet it'll be a big hit amongst art-loving philatelists. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that, but uh, but I do know it'll be seen by all those people eagerly awaiting a package at Christmas. You know, a late Christmas present, perhaps, a toy for a child, a box of chocolates for a beloved grandmother, maybe even a comfortable and stylish T-shirt from hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. From hhepodcast.com forward slash merch? That's right, from hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. Just as an example. Oh, Emvin. You truly are bringing art to the masses. Thank you.
Okay, it's time to look behind door number four, Ryan. Door number four. Door number four. Door number four. Uh, Podvent calendar, door number four. <laughs> Got to find it first. There's so many doors <laughs> to pick. <laughs> it is slightly easier on a four-door calendar, I'll give you that. Okay, this one's the smallest of the doors. Okay. It's a bee. It's a bee. It it's is a bee. bee. It's the it's the bottom of a bee. The bumblebee. The bum, it's not a bumblebee. It's just a honeybee. It's a honeybee. Okay, are you ready for your gift? Yeah, obviously. I love gifts. Keep giving me gifts. Okay, I have a tin, a heavy tin. Okay, I'm opening it up. All right, what looked like bagels? Do you remember Chris mentioned, it was quite in passing, so you may not have noticed, he mentioned honey rings. Uh, I don't remember honey so rings. So Maltese honey you've rings. You've missed a trick. There are six of them, as opposed to five honey, honey yeah, yeah. drinks. I know. Okay, tell me about honey drinks, Pete. So honey rings, Chris mentioned honey rings. Honey rings are a very traditional Maltese, particularly Christmas snack. Yeah. Interesting thing about honey rings, had I known how difficult and painstaking they are to make, I would never have embarked on this project because this took flipping ages and was much harder than I thought it was going to really? be. For real. Okay. Um, now these are, the, the Maltese for these is very hard to pronounce, but I'm going to try it. It's spelt in a way that is very different to that. Uh, that's as close as I can get. And again, apologies to all Maltese people. But this was originally a food that was only available at Christmas. Uh, can you name the main ingredient in honey rings? Honey. There is no honey in honey rings. There was a trick! <laughs> Some See, of this is why I'm so suspicious of trick questions. <laughs> Some of them are trick questions. Damn it! Uh, you can make them honey, and I think they probably were made with honey at one time, but they're now made with treacle. So what you have oh, there is okay. a treacle, semolina, sugar, flour kind of middle, yeah. uh, and a pastry outside, and you bake it for half an hour. Okay. Yeah, I, I spent an extraordinary amount of time making those, so I can only hope they're at least reasonably tasty. Okay, well, I'm going to give it a go. And again, I've never eaten these, so this is a first rendition from an internet recipe. Oh, well, recipe, look, let's so do it together. There you go, half, half and half. It's a ring-a-ding-a-ding-dong. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Pretty ordinary, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> okay, for the benefit of the podcast, let's send them okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, mm. there you go, Ryan. A honey ring. My interpretation of a honey ring, I think it's fair to say. I'm not sure how they're supposed to be. Where would you get treacle from? Is that even a thing anymore? Mm. I had treacle in my cupboard, believe it or not. <laughs> I don't believe you. No one has treacle. Is that the cupboard that has been sealed since 1800s? <laughs> <laughs> and there was a, a fawn in there wearing a scarf. <laughs> um, do you know what this needs? Some honey. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there is no honey in the honey ring, but I do want to talk about honey because Malta has been famous for honey for centuries. Now, so famous was the island's honey that the Greeks named the island Melite from Meli, meaning honey. Honey Island. Yeah. I couldn't find a source for it, but it's said that the Phoenicians actually introduced the domestication of beekeeping in apiaries and earthware jars. Right. Uh, And they would keep jars under trees, especially carob trees, to keep them out of the sun. Mm -hmm. And in the Maltese countryside, you can still find today apiaries bee houses uh, that date back to roman times what 
Yeah, well, the, the same ones. Yeah, the actual same ones. So there's one of them in a place called Shemshia, which is the Shemshia apiary. It's one of the, um, it's not the oldest, but it's one of the oldest apiaries in the whole world. And if you see a picture of it, it looks like a wall with a bunch of little holes, tunnels, hmm. if you like, in them. Basically, bee apartments, <laughs> I can make yeah. it. And, uh, and then it kind of looks like a tomb on the inside. And I think it may actually have been a tomb at one point. They would collect honey apparently once a year on the Feast of St. Anne. But in the Atomic Age, again, into the 50s, they moved to movable frame hives, which they would import from Britain and they became pretty standard. But the bee, the bee itself is quite interesting. The, the honeybee in Malta, Apis mellifera rutineri, is the Maltese honeybee. It's a specific Maltese bee. Hmm. For many years, it was the only honeybee species in the islands. But unfortunately, in 1992, the Varroa mite just devastated populations on the island of bees. They think about 4,000 colonies were lost. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and people started then importing queens of other species onto the island. And so as a result, between the mites killing them off and the hybridization with these foreign bee species, the Maltese honeybee became at risk of dying out. Oh my gosh. Now, fortunately, there are some efforts underway to save the, the subspecies. It's not a species in itself, mm. it's a subspecies. They're encouraging people, the breeding queens, they're encouraging local honey makers to use this subspecies of bee and uh, selling them the queens. They train people in insemination techniques so they can breed their own bees. And also they use mating boxes. I don't know how you encourage a little bee. I mean, I have an image in my mind and I'm okay with that. A little tiny bee room with velvet curtains and uh, dim lights and (laughs) sexy music. Bee Barry White singing in the background. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, long story short, there is hope for the Maltese bee yet. Yeah. Good luck, bees. Good luck, bees. Your Majesty, the hive is empty. The bees are gone. What? Oh no! Has the Varroa mite taken over again? Our population will be decimated. No, Your Majesty. They've left a note saying they've made a beeline to hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. hhepodcast.com forward slash merch? That's right, hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. Oh, why would they have done this? It's these t-shirts, Your Highness. There's a real buzz about them. They're moderately priced and comfortable. Do they come in several stylish designs? They do indeed, Your Majesty. They're the bees. Oh my, well why don't I hive one? I'll order one for you immediately, your majesty. Excellent. All the other queens will be royal jelly. Okay, are you ready for door five? Obviously. Here we go. I like door five because door five will have a present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what the present is. I mean, it can't be worse than four postage stamps. Okay, that's the bar. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, door number five. It's a long one. And it is... It's a cow with no legs and no head and it's been stretched out and it has like a hockey stick for its head and i i don't know what this is are you ready for your gift ryan i'm always ready for a gift for you if we've not established that by now i just want to remind you that you said it couldn't be worse than than four four postage postage stamps is it three postage stamps oh no what is it okay all right (laughs) Hopes <laughs> receding. <laughs> it's not. It's not PlayStation shape, mate. Oh, it's really bad. <laughs> it's kind of. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you bought me seven dog chews. <laughs> Seven dog juice for a pet dog I do not own. 
<laughs> what are my thanks for my tasty, chewy treats? So I refer you back to the bar that you said. Is this yeah. better or worse than four postage stamps? <laughs> I mean, it's worse. It is worse than four postage stamps because I can't use these I mean, until until the one day I get a bit hungry late at night, <laughs> and it's the only thing in my cupboard, and all I remember is the words "tasty and chewy," <laughs> and I hear, I suddenly hear a new low. <laughs> I'm gonna come in. There's an empty bag, and you'll have a shamed look on your face. <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. Okay. So Ryan, why have I given you dog treats? Yeah, it's a really good question, Pete. And what is that thing in the picture? Well, if you remember right at the beginning, I said we'd introduce you to an instrument made out of a dog. Yeah. So in Malta, back in the day, one of the traditional sounds of Christmas was the sound of the Maltese bagpipe. This is an instrument called a zack. So on Christmas Eve, zack players would go out into the streets, either late in the evening or early in the night time, to entice the population to come out of their homes and attend midnight pass, sort of a pied piper for god you might say so what is a zack it's it is kind of like a bagpipe it's the same principle it's a bag of air and pipes and a twiddly bit and a yeah. bit you blow into but the first website i said said it's made of calf or goat skin mm -hmm. so that's what you were looking at that picture is that what that is a musical instrument that is a musical instrument so okay. i found a study that said traditionally dog or cat skin was preferred oh it does look like a cat now <laughs> i think that one's probably a goat but a description from the early 19th century from the book maltese oral poetry and folk music said the bag is the complete skin of yeah. a large dog exhibiting besides the body and appliances of head legs and tail to boot so you've you see the legs and the tail they're oh, all still on it's there. very much just a dog with a with a something strapped to its head so then a bullock's horn is fitted to the mouth and punched with requisite number of holes for playing oh this is dreadful so the skin is kept intact complete with fur including the legs and tail so it kind of looks like the animal itself it, it looks, looks like, like a animal, healthy animal yeah um you've got the bull's horn on one end which is kind of the amplification of the sound that horn is sometimes decorated with shells and uh, images to ward off the evil eye <laughs> and the way it works is you inflate you've got a blowpipe that goes into one of the legs you blow it up and like a bagpipe you squeeze the the bag of the pipe and it pushes the air through the the horn uh you normally hold it under your arm yeah with the legs pointing up Upwards. Upwards. So it basically looks like you've tucked a dog or a goat under your arm. Yeah. This bit disturbed me more than anything. They said the advice was you could not use a female cat because air would escape through the nipples. <laughs> <laughs> That means someone tried it and went, oh, that doesn't work. Right? <laughs> I think it's just feel bad for killing the cat now. Honestly, this is terrible, isn't it? But it leads to the proverb or riddle, the living carries the dead, the dead one cries at the top of his voice, and the living one is out of breath. So the living carries the dead, the person carries oh, yeah. the dead animal, yep. the dead one cries, you're playing oh, the instrument, yeah. and the living's out of breath because he's blowing into the leg. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. So these are frequently played by, accompanied by the tambour, kind of tambourini drum. But in the atomic age, uh, playing the Zack was a dying tradition. So reported in the article The Maltese Zack in a thing called the Galpin Society Journal in 1977, they said they found just nine Zack players in the whole of Malta. Mm. Um, a quote from that article was, in all, the future outlook for the Zack is bleak extinction is inevitable it was also reported that the last player of the old school this guy called tony caccia died in 2004 
But then I found an article from September 8th, 2013 in the Sunday Times of Malta. It was about one guy called Edmund Jackson who says, I used to listen to my father study and teach the bagpipes and I got hooked by the unusual sound. So he decided he was going to learn this Maltese bagpipe and he says, I'd almost given up hope when by a stroke of luck I found Tony Caccia. And before I knew it, he was sitting there playing the pipes and teaching me how to play and tune them. Today, this guy Edmund Jackson leads a, a folk group called Zach Utambo. And they, they seem to still be playing. I found a post somewhere that suggested that they last played the 11th of December 2022. So it looks like that the Zach on the brink of extinction just managed to come back at least as long as today. Uh, and there's even, you can hear the sound of it from a couple of places, a couple of YouTube videos of the uh, Zaku Tambo group playing. Mm. And here is the sound of the Zach. Better sound good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not worth killing a cat. <laughs> to make that noise i'm sorry let it die out i'm gonna it's been a long year pete but this is where i draw a line stop decapitating cats putting bullhorns in their faces they don't and do then making anymore. it sound that noise that's not a thing all right that's slightly more musical than i was expecting It's got a real medieval vibe, hasn't it? Yeah. There you go, you're getting into it now. Okay, enough. So there you have it. The sound <laughs> of the Zach, the nearly extinct musical instrument from Malta. The Catawall. Catawall. Oh, that's good, that. Mm. Use that. So there it is. That is Noel Noel in Malta. Christmas in Malta. Why um, the dog treats? Oh, because of the dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes more sense now. Do you want to try one? Oh, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's Christmas, right? Oh, we Where would baking. we be? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's give it a go. Step one each. Oh, that does. That looks all right. All right, here we go. <laughs> I can't. Oh, Look oh no. that's both. <laughs> no, chewing that's not, that's not chewing on dog treats. I mean, it's literally not for me. <laughs> all right. I don't know what the dog's getting out of that. Yeah. Just the texture. Sort of collapses. Do you want to know what's in it? No. <laughs> Not now. I've just taken a bite. Various sugars. It does say meat and animal derivatives. The word that's... derivatives that's putting me off. <laughs> animal derivatives. That's not even meat, is it? Dried poultry liver powder. No, that's all right. Equivalent to 4% chicken. Basically a chicken. <laughs> what's the rest of it? 96%. Oh, I don't know. I can't be eating this. No, I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I'm not eating the whole thing, but I, I did eat a bit of it. Yeah. I, what we do for this podcast. Yeah. Eh? Well, thanks, I mean, Pete. Where does it stand against the honeymoon? <laughs> Head and shoulders above. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, like I say, Noel in Malta, uh, the Atomic Age. I've got some thank yous, Ryan. Yeah, okay. I would like to thank Reddit users Grim Fandango 1985. That's a great name. Your Double RY, Evil Dairy Queen, and Juan Pyro. And of course, Chris Buttigieg for agreeing to tell us about his Maltese Christmas. Thank you, Chris, thank you, everyone else. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Malta as a whole. I really enjoyed studying Malta, actually. It's a fascinating little place for its size. It was really punching above its weight. It had loads of fascinating things. I could have gone on for hours and hours, but, uh, you know, the audience won't stand for it, I understand. And there's only so many gifts I can give you. Do we know what, uh, how we say Happy Christmas in Maltese? We do know how we say Happy Christmas in Maltese. And I'd like to finish, Ryan, with wishing you and all of our listeners a very happy Christmas in Maltese, but not my Maltese, which, as we know, is really appalling. But uh, Chris agreed to record this message for you and all our listeners. Happy Christmas to you too, Chris. <laughs> and that's why I got someone else to do it. 
<laughs> Merry Christmas, one and all. Hurrah. You boy, get me a honey ring. Fetch me a dog. <laughs> Good size male. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Peter, it's been a bumper edition. Hasn't it, though? Of History Happened Everywhere. So thank you, Peter. In all seriousness, you've put a tremendous amount of work into all this, creating the the hot chocolate drink and these honey ring that must have taken you hours. So congratulations. Well done. And thanks again to Chris uh, for taking the time out to speak to us and tell us about his Christmas, which sounds way better than my, I like to sit on the sofa and watch TV. Yeah, my. also, I suspect his honey rings are vastly better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yes, Peter, I very much enjoyed this episode i'm feeling super festive and fun but alas it is time to put away the christmas does later for yet another year oh i've got to pack up the tinsel all of that stuff's got to go back up in the attic oh. or in the basement or wherever we keep it <laughs> <laughs> next to the spookulator it is though time to bring out the regular does later oh, so here it to- goes i'm just gonna switch it on Normal services resume. Exactly. And uh, it is my turn next, Peter. Okay, then I get to press the button. That's right. And this is going to be the first episode of 2023. Oh, we're off to a flyer. Let's see what we're going to get. Okay, so uh, over to you then, Peter. Okay, Ryan, are you ready? I am more than ready. Okay, I'm going to hit the button. Here we go. Ryan, your country is... Mexico. <gasps> that sounds great. I love Mexico. I've always wanted to go. Okay, this is your opportunity. You can nip out quick and come back. Yeah. And your time is... It's the Middle Ages, Ryan. Which the Middle Ages. Obviously, you're familiar with know exactly what it is, but for our listeners, that would be 476 to 1450 CE. Okay. I mean, there are people there, so there's going to be something. Let's hope so. Let's all about the topic. Is it Spaceman? Is it something difficult? Let's find out. Mm. And your topic is... Sleep. 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 My, one of my favourite things to do, Pete. Well, you can't sleep on the job here. You have to go and find things out about Mexico in the Middle Ages, sir. Okay, so it's sleep in Mexico during the Middle Ages. That's right. I've got it. No worries. All right, look forward to it. Okay, well, look, there we are. That is the show for this week. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that Pete's been talking about for the past hour or so, uh, or just to say hello, you can get in touch. You can reach out to us through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we love hearing from you, and you might end up featured on a future show, such as Evil Dairy Queen, who say they are a new listener, and they are eagerly awaiting this very episode. So hopefully it lived up to your expectations. And that is not all. A quick shout-out to He's Intoxicated, who told us that... who told us that he enjoyed listening to the last episode whilst doing a cardio workout. Wow. So Not whilst intoxicated, hopefully. Mentally and physically fit. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Now, look, if you are on Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you'll get an alert every time we post any of our trivia tidbits. We do news, we do photos. You will be able to see the pictures of the weird gifts that I gave Ryan. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. But we are going to be back again next 
week with... The Verdict. But this was the last episode of History Happened Everywhere for 2022. And that can mean only one thing, Peter. That's right. As is traditional, Ryan and I will be put to the test by Judge Dursley in our end-of-the-year quiz. Yeah. Who won last year, Ryan? Yeah, you did, Pete. So well done you for being better than me. But let's see if I can grab the silverware uh, for remembering all the things we talked about across all 25 episodes of 2022. I think I can remember everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really? If last year was anything to go by, that is not true. (laughs) Yeah, we apologise in advance for our lack of memory. I'm fairly certain a listener would do better than we did. (laughs) (laughs) But until then, a huge thanks to you, Peter. Thanks to you, Ryan Weir. And to Chris. Thanks to you, Chris. You were awesome. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... Merry Christmas! He's been. What? Oh, what time is it? It's 5 a.m. Oh, who, who's been? Santa Claus has been, and he's left me a gift. Can I open it? Oh, I mean, yeah, sure. You, you'd better open it if Santa's been. Great. Oh, my God. Look, Pete, it's an HHE podcast mug. Brilliant. And look, there's a note from Santa, too. Oh, yeah, really? What could it possibly say? Well, it, it says, Dear Ryan, that's me. My records show you've been a naughty boy this year. Unfortunately, due to the soaring costs of energy this year, I cannot afford a lump of coal for every naughty child. So all I'm giving you is this mug. Yours, disappointedly, Santa. Oh, no. I don't get it, Pete. I thought I'd been a good boy this year. Well, I, I guess you haven't. But but don't worry. You just have to be extra good next year. You know, may, maybe do the dishes every day. Perhaps do my laundry, maybe even cook my dinner, that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be extra good next year. I'll do the dishes, clean your clothes, and make sure you have delicious meals every single day. Well, only if you're sure. I am. Okay. Well, look, you should probably head back to bed now. It is still early. All right, Pete. Nighty night. Good night, Ryan. Good night. What the heck? Santa? Yes, Peter. It is I. What are you doing here? I've brought you a present. This lump of coal. For you have been a naughty boy this year, tricking your friend into doing your chores. Yeah, yeah, I did do that, but it was pretty clever, though. Clever or not, you have been a... Oh, wait... What is this? This mug, it's it's gorgeous. Wherever did you get it? The HHE mug? Well, that's from hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. hhepodcast.com forward slash merch? That's right, hhepodcast.com forward slash merch. Well, I think it's a delightful gift for all the family and perfect for hot chocolate on a chilly night. Well, Santa, I mean... Why don't you take it as a gift from me? I couldn't possibly. Well, I mean, you you could, if maybe we forget all about this naughty boy business. Well, 
I suppose I could delete a couple of records. Yeah, well, why don't you do that? Okay, well, look, I'm going to take this, and I better be off. Uh, busy night and all that. Merry Christmas, Peter. Merry Christmas, Santa, and a Merry Christmas to me. (laughs) Peter Goddard, I am the ghost of Christmas past. Oh, for f**k's sake. Hi everyone, despite what you may have heard in the sketches, we don't really need you to buy merchandise from our shop. Christmas is about love and family and togetherness and not about buying products. It was only a joke and we hope you took it as such. So have yourselves a lovely Christmas from your friends at History Happened Everywhere. HSGpodcast.com forward slash merch. Ryan!